It's happy hour again from Central City, New Orleans. Hello, I'm Grant Morris. Happy hour is part of the family of shows on the podcast network. It's neworleans.com. Brought to us today by Petite Pet Care. If you're going out of town, if you're working late or you have a school or work schedule that keeps you away from home and away from taking care of your pet, well, you could always get a new job or you could let Petite Pet Care help you out. The folks at Petite Pet Care understand that some pets are fine going to a kennel or doggy daycare, but others prefer the comfort of their own home. And if that's your pet, Petite Pet Care will take care of your cats, dogs, fish, and birds, including chickens. I wonder how they take care of chickens. I suppose nice. chickens need to be fed as well, like everybody Poor else, right? chickens. Yeah. Oh, they're, well, they're happy, I'm sure. Anyway, Petite Pet Care is insured, bonded, Red Cross, Pet, CPR, and First Aid certified. But most importantly, they love animals. For loving care when you're not there, Petite Pet Care can be found at their website, PetitePetCare.com, or give them a call at 309-PET. When you walk into a bar in New Orleans and you pull up a bar stool, you never know who's going to be sitting on either side of you. What you do know is no matter what they look like, what they're wearing, whether they just got out of a limo or just got out of jail, they're going to be happy to talk to you because that's New Orleans and this is Happy Hour, a cocktail-fueled 60 minutes of random conversation with folks who have nothing in common other than we're all New Orleans in a bar. In this case, we're at Casa Borrega on Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard in Central City, New Orleans. Casa Borrega is a bar, a restaurant, and a live music venue. Come down here and have a Mexican meal, have an awesome cocktail, and hear live Latin jazz most of the time, especially on the weekends. All right. And you can also join us for the next 60 minutes as we sit around here having a chat at Happy Hour. My special guests sitting around the table here today are in this order, alphabetically. Arita Bohannon. I said Arita like the Mexican way because Hugo <laughs> makes me say Borrega every day. So now I've gotten a habit. What sort of a word is Arita? Is that Spanish, in fact? No, my parents made it up. I wish there was a... Where are exciting. they from? They're from here. They're locals. Uh, my, they combined my two grandmother's names. What were uh, they? Adorina and Rita. And they argued about who to name me after and they compromised in the middle. Wow. And really? now it's a great story. <laughs> that is a great story. Just kick yeah. off the day. Clever. And now I have a name no one can spell. So it sounds like <laughs> uh, it's like Anita with an R instead of an N. Right. Right. And what what, what were the other choices that could be the combination? What are those two names again? Um, Adorina and Ad- Rita. Adorina and Rita. Right. So what if it'd been the other way around? If that was the f- second syllables of each name that they'd used, what would that be? Drita? <laughs> <laughs> it would have been awful. Arita Bohannon is an author and an attorney who has a special interest in domestic and sexual violence, herself a victim of childhood sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Well, this has taken a bad turn yeah, already. Yeah, sorry we're about that. Good heavens, we're only one second into the show. We're already on sexual violence and sexual <laughs> abuse. Arita's life experience gives her a special passion in her work as an attorney, where she is a past winner of the Association of Trial Attorneys Trial Competition. Wow. And as an author, Arita's new novel, Docket Number 76 tells the story of an assistant DA who is given the case of prosecuting a man for sexually abusing a child only to discover when she confronts him in court that he is also the man who sexually abused her as a child. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> what it's a, a courtroom great thriller. idea. It's, it's, a a courtroom, it. it's a courtroom drama. Yeah, with, absolutely. With the DA has been sexually abused by the guy she's prosecuting for sexual abuse. That right. is a, did you have come up with that idea one night in the middle of the night when you'd had too much to drink or what? Basically, yes. Yeah, because your <laughs> husband owns a bar, so I'm assuming. He does, yeah. I'm assuming that you must have had a few drinks that night. I H- did. What happened? How did you come up with that idea? It's probably based a lot on my own uh, history, and if you're a victim of sexual abuse, it's sort of how you would love the story to end if it ah, happened to you. It's like a fantasy. It is. So I guess in some way I was... Um, you know, killing some demons with this book. 
Well, we'll get on to that in a minute because I'd love to know if that's worked yeah. and the demons are dead. No. Let's find out. Also, <laughs> sitting to your left is Angela Catalano. Now, that does sound sort of vaguely Spanish, is it? Uh, yes. I, they're somewhere in the lineage, but my family's actually Italian. They're Southern Italian. Italian. Very much so. Okay. We got some brunettes. Boy, we really yeah. got some foreigners going on here. <laughs> Angela was lured to New Orleans from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to avoid the devastation of northern winters, to ride her bike year-round, and to start Shotgun Cinema. Shotgun Cinema takes over the Marini Opera House once a month for film screenings of meticulously crafted dramas, conversation-starting documentaries, beautifully restored classics, and delightfully campy genre films. Hey, that sounds cool. Before her southern seduction, Angela was the programming manager for the 15-day Milwaukee Film Festival. That's a long festival. It was, yeah, it was actually insane. Yeah, um, the last year's (laughs) festival, uh, we had over 240 films. And pretty m- all of which I was responsible How for. How many so. films did you have to watch to get 240 good ones? Uh, I keep an Excel spreadsheet. Um, last year, I definitely topped over, I think, 2,000. <laughs> so there was two, a lot, yeah. 2,000 wow. films at what the average film is like, two hours long? Um, some of those included short films. So short okay. length can be anywhere from 30 seconds to 45 minutes. So. 30 seconds, I that's mean, my that's kind of a movie. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what they should all be 30 <laughs> seconds long. Then we I think that's why Vine is so popular. Everyone likes that. Six seconds and you're done. It's a six-second movie, that's yeah. right. So you watch movies all day, every day, basically? Uh, for a lot of it, yes. <laughs> wow, it's a, a great gig. What a gig. Yeah. Hey, also here is Travis Bird, who's a projectionist at film festivals around North America. Wow, what, a, what are the chances that you'd be a film festival program and sitting right next to you at happy hour would be a projectionist at film festivals around north america equal parts traveler musician and cinephile travis is fascinated by the artistry and simplicity of old machines and also the artistry of angela catalano to his right (laughs) (laughs) travis and angela met at the 2012 milwaukee film festival and formed shotgun cinema based on angela's talent at programming films travis's talent at screening them and their joint belief that new orleans would benefit from this combination correct we, yes, we hope so, correct. yeah. It's we do believe so far, we so do believe good. that. Working together, Travis and Angela are aiming to establish an art house movie theater with high-quality daily screenings of new independent and repertory titles on film and digital. Hey, so you guys are trying to set up an art house cinema here in New Orleans. We yeah, are. absolutely. Are you looking for real estate? Yes. Oh, yeah, very much so. Right yeah. now we are. You're <laughs> looking for real estate right now. Where yeah. do you think? I guess down the Bywater or the Marini or something? Mm-hmm. I think that would probably be a good first place to start, yeah. Kind that's where that. we're currently looking. Well, yes. there's Zeitgeist right down the street here, of course. Right, we're in Central City. We're just a, right. Yeah, that's true. Well, are you, you, com- are they you a competition? So. Or no, not necessarily. I think we want to do something pretty different. Zeitgeist books great films, too. It gets a yeah. lot of stuff. I think there's a lot of other films that can be seen on any given day. A lot of old stuff, a lot of stuff on film. It's a lot of fun. On actual film. On actual film. We need film. to talk to you about being a projectionist in just a minute. Do you know? Cause, yeah, because I really I didn't know that was a whole gig. I didn't realize mm. it was a specialty. I thought you just put the film in the... In the thing, and uh, you oh, know, this is gonna be longer oh, than 60 man, minutes man. if that's what you think. <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> I want to introduce you all to Helen Jalea, who's sitting to my left. Hello, Helen. Helen's making her second appearance on Happy Hour. I'm surprised you've come back. <laughs> it's great to come back. It's I so good to have you back. I got the call about three hours ago. I know. <laughs> Christian Unruh, who books all the music, is he's really on like a, just a need to know basis, he's like an hour ahead of everything. If you don't know Helen already, she's a cello player who stepped out of the classical music mold in 1998 when she began training as an improviser with North Indian Hindustani vocal ragas. Man. Are we going to go through that whole sentence again? North Indian Hindustani vocal ragas. Hindustani vocal ragas. And that's not even mentioning that they're on the cello. We could have added cello to that, but 
it was already long enough. Wow, that's true. But anyway, that launched Helen into the worlds of free improvisation, jazz, funk, rock, and French chanson, and soon found her recording with the likes of Cassandra Wilson, Dr. John, Marianne Faithful. Imagine having all those people in a room at the same time. That'd be Dr. Great. John, Marianne Faithful, and Cassandra Wilson. <laughs> Word, wouldn't oh, it? I don't know. It's you, like, who would you, you like a, to have dinner with? You'd need like a referee. <laughs> 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 you need an interpreter, that's for sure. <laughs> also playing with a wide range of performers from Smokey Robinson to the Mardi Gras Indian Orchestra, as well as leading her own trio and all-string ensemble, Wazozo, which is playing around town, I see these days. Yeah, we have a, a whole Zorchestra now, the Wazozo Zorchestra, just hey. to... Just to um, you know, just re- reinforce disease. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, we're we're a seven piece band now. It's really fun. We just played French Quarter Fest. Yeah, that was great. It was really. That's fun. a really that is a really cool thing you're doing. We're going to have a listen to you playing in a minute. Of course, Helen's latest recording is called Ferdinand, which is a collaboration with New Orleans bassist James Singleton. That's right. Who's also a wacky guy. He's amazing. And he's a bass player who is, is equally as inventive and original as you are as a cello player. Well, he is my teacher, so... He's your teacher. I like to honor him as, as uh, being my teacher, and we get in a little bit of a, a fight over who's more envious of whose instrument. He's, what do you mean? He t- what's he teaching you? Well, when I first moved to town, he was definitely a big teacher in how to be a bass player on the cello, because I really wow. wanted to be a jazz cellist, and one of the comfortable role, roles to imitate as a cello player is the bass, obviously. Um, I'm like a tiny bass, um, or I could be like a trombone or a guitar, or I basically was a chameleon out of necessity when I first moved here just to uh, join as many bands as I could on the, with the cello. So, But he was my bass. So you're trying teacher. to imitate playing a bass on the cello so you'll get a gig? Is that what you're saying? Y- you say if you don't have a bass player, I, mean I can step in. That can't be right. Basically. I'm no. <laughs> Really? Not anymore, right? Well, you can go no. Now I've I think I've paved the way, and now I'm just like, <clears throat> you're gonna hire a cello player. But um, <laughs> before I, I was just looking to get paid, and I was like, uh, you know, I could be your bass player for the night. I'll just play bass lines, and they're like, great, we need one. And like I would sub in as a bass player or a did you or charge? Violin. Did you charge less because it's smaller than a bass? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I had to accept a little less pay. What but made you come here in the first place? If you there was no work, here. I wanted to be a jazz. Uh, well, actually, I did want to be a jazz musician, and I figured that um, I, I kind of just figured that the cello and whoever wants to come to New Orleans and has enough passion and creativity, and uh, as my my mom's Irish colleague used to say, uh, she's got balls, you know, like <laughs> enough balls to get up on stage with your axe, yeah, you know, whatever is, it may be. That's a hugely brave thing that you do, sitting wow. there by yourself on a stage with a cello, and then all these, but you build it into such a with all those loops and stuff it sounds so amazing it sounds like there's a whole band there but it's just you yeah but I you're do so that it's, i was watching you the other day playing and it's yeah. like you're possessed by something up there yeah i really am i i, I don't know how to do, how to, I, I just love music i love it it makes me giddy and it just keeps getting more and more strong as i get older it's pretty awesome it's better than a relationship with a person i would imagine Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a relationship with a person Hope as well? Hope my boyfriend's listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's also a musician, so he can relate to What does he play? Do we know him? Um, he plays a lot of different instruments, yeah. Oh, he's a multi-instrumentalist. Yeah. Do we know him? Is it so are you, are you what does that say, say about him if he's a multi-instrumentalist? What does it say about him? Well, I don't know. Can't get it together? Know. Can't commit? I'm going to no comment on that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? If you can play more than one instrument, does that psychologically mean you have a fear of commitment? 
Well, you you just got a lot of love to give your instrument. Yeah, okay. I don't know this. I don't even know this guy's name or who he is. But good way around. But that. on That's behalf good. of all men, let me just say this: everyone's got a fear of commitment, so he's no different than no, all of us. No. Am I right, Travis? I think you're right. Neil Young's <laughs> written a lot of songs, but he's only played one guitar, one amp, pretty much the whole time. So there you go. Mm. It takes different routes. That's I all. think you're mm-hmm. al- you're arguing against me with that one. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> 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 Are you guys a couple, Travis and Angela? Yes. So is that how you decided to move to New Orleans? Because you're a couple. No. One, one of you convinced the other one to move here. No, actually, um, I we weren't dating, um, but uh, that sort of came afterwards. After but no, what? Shotgun oh. Cinema is basically a love child. Yeah. So that's which why I moved here. Which one came awesome. first? A couple, moving here, or Shotgun Cinema? Shotgun Cinema. Shotgun Cinema came first. They came first. So you're in Milwaukee. Correct. Both of you. Which is not New Orleans, by the way, right? Mm-mm. Milwaukee, no, Wisconsin. It's a long way it's away. It's still yeah. below freezing there right now, I think. There was, yeah, there, there was, was snow, snow this week. Day, it wouldn't even matter what month you're listening to this. No. So, you know, <laughs> there was snow yesterday yeah. in Milwaukee. <laughs> July um, 2014. <laughs> no, I was living in Milwaukee, um, and Travis was living here. So I came in January of 2013, only a year, just over a year ago. So you've been and here just for about a year. You no, just, oh, you came for a visit. Yeah, visit. Yeah, I just came to visit. We, were you dating then? No. No, not really. <laughs> oh, I, I, think, I think we're onto a rich, yeah. fertile ground. <laughs> so what happened? Um, I came in between, I was actually traveling between film festivals, um, and so I had a few days, and he had, inv- had invited me to come why to did, see this Why city. did you invite her? Because I thought she would love this place. But and you I had, did you company. have designs on her? You oh, of course. So you thought there's a chance that I'd get lucky. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> were you looking for a relationship or just to have sex with her while she was here? <laughs> I you think at that, point, <laughs> I at that point, I have no idea what I was looking for. Just someone. It was, was a dark period in my life. <laughs> was it that dark? I just, just a year ago. Yeah. A lot can happen no. in a year. I medium mean, I was in Milwaukee medium dark. three months ago. It's medium dark. That's true. Yeah. Well, she was a gr- say gray area. Yeah, it was a gray area. A gray you weren't period. dating a blue, anybody? A blue gray area. Oh, you were period. depressed. Mm. I think we were both in the same place. What was that? Depression, sad, lonely? No, I think it was just like Restless. in between things. Yeah. Kind of bored, restless. What were you the doing? Ingredients what were you doing here, Travis? I was working at festivals and just kind of hanging out. You know, I moved here about two and a half years ago, and um, I've been traveling for film festivals as a projectionist uh, more more on than off, actually. So I spend a lot of time away, and I think I was starting to get tired of that. And Shotgun Cinema, in part, is a way to keep me here in town so that I can pursue our actual thing. So you bravely. Angela decided, yes, I'll come down and visit Travis, even though I didn't really know him that well. Yeah, well, we had and been I'll friends. I'll stay with him. Well, we in met in his apartment yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in New Orleans, You're a city, it together. in a city yeah. you'd never been go. to before. Yeah, I mean that, that's not that unheard of, right? No, you, right? No, okay, yeah. 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 I mean, you guys are, you know, you guys are great. That's an awesome story. Oh, that's about normal. You. That's well, brave. Well, it was yeah. funny. We, um, well, we had been friends, so we had met previously at the Milwaukee Film Festival. Um, he was working as a projectionist, and I was doing programming. Fifteen days, fourteen yeah, 15 hours days a day. Wow projecting films that she programmed yeah it was intense and every once in a while you'd stop up to the booth and just be like how's it going it, be like, oh. it was mostly drinking after hours right. to sustain after 14 hours you had 10 other hours to fill in so why not start drinking <laughs> so, so that's <laughs> why <laughs> you were set to move to New Orleans that's, yeah, film, that's a I film I festival life Milwaukee's called Brew Sometimes, City yeah. so Booze City Booze Brew, Brew City. City yeah for beer I okay. think they have the most bars um, per capita based in neighborhoods 
Really? Isn't yeah, there, it's every corner. Bar, isn't there a bar where you need a secret like password to get yes. in? Yeah, yeah. They film the, uh, you. the safe house. The, the yeah, safe the safe house. house. That's wow. where I went there before my uh, high school homecoming <laughs> or prom. One yeah, of no the one two. actually really goes there. <laughs> yeah, it's a special <laughs> but it's really place. funny that you know of it. Is it like <laughs> the dungeon or something? No. Here? Is it? I barely remember, actually. God, the dungeon. Hey, Helen, how do you know about the safe house in Milwaukee, Wisconsin? Well, I lived, I was in a girl punk band in Madison, Wisconsin. <gasps> about what was the name of your band? Well, this may be the first time I say this on the air, so. Um, <laughs> okay, we're ready. <laughs> Setting down. We were influenced by, you know, Bikini Kill and La Tigra, or Bikini Kill and La Tigra, and um, um, a slew of other bands that, like X-Ray Specs and all of those amazing Portland Olympia Washington girl bands. So, um, of course, our name was maybe quite not as good, but I think our music was really good. I like um, where this is going. And the man's <laughs> name was called The Coochies. Uh, right. awesome. I was in a band called The Coochies that I'm actually very proud of. So I need to get comfortable saying that on the air more often because I'm those ladies are still really a big part of my life. And I those love those coochies. Those coochies are um, are some of the my best friends. Yes. Um, <laughs> Are they still in Wisconsin? Okay, that's a good sentence. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a billboard. You bring it out in people's head. <laughs> Can we expect a reunion here in oh New Orleans? God, I wish. They, I'm the only professional musician of the bunch, but um, I, and I kind of want to cover our repertoire on my cello. They're very sexually explicit songs. Okay, here's That would chance. be amazing. <laughs> Let's do you know, one just, right I, now. I would need to practice because I was actually the drummer. You were the drummer in a drummer punk in the band. band called yeah. the Coochie. Okay, <laughs> now <laughs> we've really got yeah, somewhere yes. now. Badass. Yeah, it was great. So you know, you're a multi-instrumentalist as well, then. Uh, yeah, so I am too. <laughs> Do you still have a drum kit? I just bought the old, okay, Piety Studios. Yeah. Mark Bingham, who's a big good friend of mine, I've recorded with him. It's changing, changing of the guards over there, and he had a big sale, and I bought oh, an old drum didn't set. Know about that. I bought oh this God. old Sonar drum set, and it looks really punky. It's really scrappy. I need to fill like. You know, I need to fill in like missing parts and stuff, but the ba- the bass drum pedal and the toms and stuff I bought and and the snare, and I'm really excited mm. because I'm almost putting a <laughs> hole through my cello. I'm drumming on it so much. Yeah, you do. Hit so it. I'm coming. Yeah. I'm really hitting it. I mean, I'm getting a little worried. Have you ever so. thought about using a carbon fiber cello, like Fred yeah. Lomberg Home Fre- uses one of those? Yeah, Fred's a Fred's a friend of mine. Actually, I've talked to him about those those cellos, and I like them for him his sound but i just there's something about them that i i i think that they kind of sound weird don't they yeah or they they yeah they don't sound like a wooden instrument <laughs> duh, yeah. you know it's because it's not totally, um yeah. <laughs> if you ever want to start another all-girl punk band i do play bass i have a oh really right. gnarly yeah i used to play in hardcore bands in milwaukee awesome. and so it's the it's a ridiculous electric electric bass it looks like something that um Slayer would play. It was nice. based off of Tom Arroyo's bass. Well, so. I'd probably look wha- good with the cello, with the cello, with, with the, the drums. Drum set. Yeah, yeah. drums. Okay, okay, so we've got a rhythm section now for the band. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think Already. we've got our lead singer here too. I, yeah. I read it to you. Sorry, sing? ladies. <laughs> I can't. I know. Let's talk about writing novels in a minute, but first of all, let's make Helen play something. See, we've oh, got right. we've got to this point. You don't think you got up for playing one of the Coochies originals? Oh God! <laughs> I, r- I don't just try, know. just that try would be something. Awesome. See if you can remember anything. What was the big song the Coochies hit? <laughs> they were all hit so single. raw and raunchy. They were raw and raunchy. We, we can deal with raw and raunchy here, can't we, guys? I, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, one was about how women should get <clears throat> women should get their rocks off more. Yes. You know. Well, I think we'd all agree with that. So it was like I know it, I would. Yeah. <laughs> 
in a sort of rehearsal scene well, how'd that work with the band did you bring that one in or what happened um, I actually wrote that one yes it's a little song I wrote myself <laughs> but we played we played that in the basement of uh, this house I was living with the lead singer of the band uh, who uh, was actually more of a literature women's you know women's uh, literature kind of uh, sophisticated student and sophisticated and she was going through a lot of personal trauma actually and that was her way of uh, getting it out, was through writing all these songs. And she wrote a lot of amazing songs. And, um, and then, uh, you know, our bass player is a friend of mine who uh, is now a teacher in Berlin. And, um, and then uh, uh, it, was just, it was just a great group of, of women. And we, we all went into the basement of uh, this house we were living in. They have basements in Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> and, Everywhere. Uh, There's the tornadoes. Yeah. So ah. <laughs> it's very, very convenient for uh, loud bands. And, uh, and we just got together once a week, if not twice a week, and just played and played and played. And I think we had four shows, you know, and that's it. Um, but there were, <laughs> we, had, we made a splash in Madison. <laughs> um, so I think that... Um, I think that there's actually one cover of one of our songs out there. Like a band was like, we're wow. going to cover the okay. song we're called cover Domilo. The coochies. Yeah. Domilo. Domilo. Yeah. How'd that go? Um. What were the lyrics to that? That sounds almost... Like Damelo, Damelo, Damelo Ahora was the, was the chorus. <laughs> okay. Saucy. What there, do, what does there are other words too, but I'm going to stop What does there. that mean in, in English? It means give it to me. Give it now. to me now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. You know when you're when you're working it out, you know you've got to express yourself. And uh, we were we were living in a very collegey town, and it was very frat boy oriented, and we were kind of sick of it. And so we were, we thought we'd sing about how you know, like you know, we don't really want to go out and party and feel like it's a meat market out there. We want to like you know just get our rocks own. off. We just want to get our now. rocks off now. <laughs> Give it to me now. Did that uh, did actually? The, I will have to. Sh the one of the last lines of that song is "Feed me spaghetti." Feed me spaghetti. Uh, so it's a cop Feed out. Feed me spaghetti now. now. Yeah. So it's a cop out at the end because you weren't saying fuck me. You were saying feed me spaghetti. Well, I, I didn't say the other words to the song yet, but that was just the oh. end. And you'll have to wait for the album, for the to, album come to come out. out. Okay. <laughs> What's the album going to be called, I wonder? I don't know. The Coochies, I guess. <laughs> Coochies won. <laughs> so I don't mean to embarrass you with the oh, it's talking awesome. about the it's coochies. awesome. I've been wanting to talk about this band actually. I I'm dying to hear it now. Is yeah. it on the internet anywhere? If we no, if anyone's if someone is googling this right now, I can tell them. I guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you Google it, you might be able to find something out there. C O O H C H I E S. No, it's K with a K. K. Oh, is it a okay. U with an umlaut or is it? Oh, <laughs> oh genius. Nice. <laughs> Hey, where are you from originally? Because your accent has completely disappeared altogether now. Well, I was, I'm a hybrid. I was, I was born in Belgium. I lived in Singapore nine years, but my mom's American. So we moved back to Belgium, then we moved to Chicago. And she's from Chicago, which is why oh, I'm a Midwestern cool. uh, connoisseur. That. <laughs> Did you, you know go to school in Madison? Beloit. 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 Oh, okay. College. Beloit College. Yes. Good music there. What, last time you were on... Happy Hour, which I guess was about 25 years ago. You had a much, you had a real accent, actually. You <laughs> what? Like a, you no, had, I didn't. didn't. 
Didn't you have like a more of a Belgian accent? I just Am I just making that up? I think you remember you because sing I French, sang in yes. French, so you probably heard it after uh, okay. that. Okay, I must have. I like right now, I'm talking about a girl punk band in Madison. So you're like, yeah. who is this girl from Belgium? <laughs> What's but this Belgian chick talking about? Yeah, but if <laughs> if I you know if I started singing in French, then maybe after that you'd be like, wow, look at listen to that French accent. Maybe that's what happened to you. I mean, somehow in my mind, I think of you as maybe speaking French. Well, yeah, I grew up speaking French and English, so that I'm, f- I'm fluent in French, but I don't. Do, I know do you I know any it. Hindu? No, no, and I barely know two ragas, but I. I'm not going to make you play a raga unless yeah. you would like to. Well, y- you need a drone. If you guys could all drone uh, yeah. for me. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 Travis is a musician as well. That's well, we've great. got a lot. We got a lot of uh, real estate to, to to get to yet. So, let's have a listen to a song. Okay. What do you want to play, by the way? Well, since I mentioned French song, why don't I do one of those? Okay. After that, awesome. You can redeem yourself. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I can top that last thing. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Pick up a lot of room. It's like playing at Yuki. You like hit, hitting the wall. Let me move this. Just moving the furniture around. All right. Je ne sais pas pourquoi j'allais danser à Saint-Jean, vos musettes. Il m'a suffi d'un seul baiser Pour que mon cœur soit prisonnier Comment ne pas perdre la tête Serrée par ses bras audacieux Car l'on croit toujours doux mots d'amour Quand ils sont dits avec les yeux Moi qui l'aimais tant Je le trouvais le plus beau de Saint-Jean Je restais grise et sans volonté sous ses baisers. Just a little snippet of that song. Oh, that's what you're going to do? Yeah. All right. I mean, I I want to get to know everybody here. Okay, we'll make you you do some more later on. All right, that's fine. So I did hear, that was interesting, watching you play that, because there is like a bass line and a sort of whatever that other... Like a an arco like line. Arco, that's called, is it? Yeah, or the bow. Arco is the yeah. Italian. Arco, A R C O. Yeah. It's like the gas, isn't it called Arco as well? Argo, I think. Argo. Is, is the gas. Is or Argo is Argo is, like is, is cornstarch. Cornstarch. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't know if you could run a car <laughs> off that. They're probably working on it. Oh, yeah, probably. Okay. So, Arita, <laughs> did, you, you, did you start off writing novels? This is your first novel, Docket. First novel. What's Docket number? 76. Dr. Stock at 76. Is that mm. significant of anything, or you just picked the number? I randomly picked the number. Right. Mm. It's so got a nice ring to it. I like that. I know, it does. Right? Mm-hmm. I tried a few numbers. I don't know. It's such a great story. Unfortunately, it's based on a true story. Sort of. From your own... Right. Chi- well, the fantasy of getting back at the sexual predator right. in a courtroom is an amazing, mm-hmm. amazing device. It's like a movie or something. Have you had anybody mm-hmm. thinking about making a movie out of it? Um, I just got a Clarion review back, and they said that this would be the book for any Law and Order fan yeah. out there, which I took as a well, huge compliment. That's great. So Solid, yeah. I know, but you know, my husband, who's been on the show before, mm. I wouldn't be surprised if he's filming somewhere right now. He seen, seems to kind of be the guy that make those kind of things happen for me, so <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he's working on it. That right. would be awesome. Yeah. So, so what you talked about before, you mentioned that you think you came up with the idea and you wanted to write this mm-hmm. confrontation story to get the demon to 
get mm-hmm. demons out of your system. Did it help you? Yes, in an unexpected way, because I've been asked to speak about it. And when the book first came out, I had sent it to a couple of my family members to look at the proof, just to get some opinions about how it looked. And, you know, some of my aunts were worried about putting it on the cover that I'm a victim of sexual abuse because it's never really been out there before. And, you know, they were concerned with me saying it out loud. And Mm -hmm. really the backlash that I didn't expect was how it affected my dad because, you know, he was in the military Mm -hmm. when it happened and it was another soldier who did it that was the offender. Mm -hmm. And this sort of opened some huge wounds for him that I didn't see coming. But In what sense that he felt responsible that he hadn't done anything about it? Absolutely. Well, no, they prosecuted. Um, He held him accountable. My dad did. he was going to lose his life or he was going to lose his freedom, one or the other, basically. And so he, he stood up for me. And, but I didn't realize, you know, he's always been the hero figure for me, but I didn't realize that this was going to be personally painful for him. And it has been. But it's good because now he talks about it, too. Uh, we've invi- been invited to go to a couple military bases together. So it's oh, so the military yeah. wants really you. Fantastic. The military yeah. wants you to talk about it. Yeah, because mine is a positive story, and there's a lot of negative stories with the military. But with mine, you know, it's an upbeat story about sexual abuse. Yeah, <laughs> it's as happy of an ending of sexual abuse as you can get. But you know, the military did the right thing by me. Uh, they stepped in, they prosecuted, they removed him from right. my dad's unit. Um, and I think a lot of times these things are kind of glossed over. And I think the military, especially. Um, for whatever reason, it seems like they get coined with that. And with me, that just wasn't my story. My personal story is that there were several heroes involved and they stepped up at the right time for me. And it's led me down. I mean, I became an attorney for crying out loud. It could be my JAG officer. I remember her distinctly. She was a female and young and, you know, so maybe that's why I ended up here. Who knows? But I know the story has been written for several years. I couldn't hit print for one reason or another. Mm. And finally I did, and I'm glad I did. Mm. When you grow up as a victim of child abuse like that, Mm -hmm. there must be most of the people in your life don't know anything about it. They just know you as the person they met at school, the person they met at work, or the person they met through someone else and met at a dinner party. No one one defines you as a victim of sexual abuse. But now, if you go public like that, everybody that's what everyone thinks about you first. Does that change how you interact with people now? I think you're right. I, I have had some of that. I've had it, you know, on Facebook. I have close to 2,000 friends on Facebook, and I've received 100 emails probably from different women saying I never knew, and hmm. or would you mind talking to my daughter? It's happened to her. Or it's, it's <coughs> strange how it has affected so many people besides myself. But I do worry that sometimes now, or, or you know, the other kids at school, you know, I don't have... I've been married for 16 years, so I don't know what the dating world's like anymore. I don't Fantastic. Yeah, you're, I really, know, you're really missing out. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Yeah, right, I Helen? I look at these two lovebirds over here. I know, right? <laughs> this is what you're missing. I know. <laughs> I didn't get to move to, to some exciting city. You know, I'm stuck here with my husband for 16 years. Well, you years. go on a book tour, and then he doesn't know what's going on. I know, all, right? Yeah. I and he owns a bar. He owns a number of bars. Yes, he does. But he's not a bar guy. I know that sounds it's weird. It's like a drug dealer. Yeah, yeah, he, he just doesn't sells actually it. do the drugs; exactly. he just sells it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I he's mean, he occasionally does the drug, but I mean, he occasionally drinks. <laughs> has but a for drink the most part, he's not a boozer and no. staying up till five o'clock in the morning. No, I mean, we have two kids and two dogs, and we're kind of boring in a way, uh, which is great, in a way. Yeah. So, what do you think the dating world is like, you guys? You're both in the dating world, or oh, you're God. out of it now? Terrible. It's shocking. No, I just I really don't <laughs> like dating. <laughs> Travis, do you like it? 
Yeah, but it's distracting. You know, mm-hmm. just, there's a lot of stuff to do. And if you're dating, if you're focusing on that, it's just blah. Mm-hmm. It's hard to build a career and then date. So I don't know. Maybe it's just uh, the time of life that you're doing it. So I you found it really. So difficult. you get that like off the table. What? You get that off the table. You get dating mm-hmm. off the table, so oh, you can yeah. focus on yeah, if yeah it's or a you career. stay single. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you can't. You don't believe you can do both effectively at the same time. Well, maybe I couldn't. Some people can't. I can't. Yeah, yeah. I can't handle that. No, I have a hard too. enough time just. Uh, I choose work. <laughs> eating breakfast in the morning. You have a hard enough time eating breakfast. Yeah. Morning. Yeah. Sometimes we just start working and then I forget to eat. It's so you're driven. I think so. Driven but to project. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. No film yet in this city. But yes, driven to project somehow. So know. you're a musician as well, but let's just, can we yeah. just talk about projecting movies for a minute? Yeah, sure. I've always thought, and you guys see if you agree or disagree with me. Not you, Angela, you're not allowed to say anything. I thought, um, <laughs> I thought the projectionist was the lowest of the low. I thought there was a guy who just like sit, stood there and smoked cigarettes and waited for the film to end and then took it, the reel out and put it back in again and they had to wait for people to shuffle in and out of the theatre and then do it all over again. I didn't, think there was a, I didn't know there was well, an art to that. There is very much an art to that. And there are people that are like that. And there are people that have it even easier because with digital projection, right. you ingest the movie onto a hard drive. The hard drive plays back through projector. So you literally only have to press play. But right. there's so much more that goes into it than that. So much preparation, alignment, um, servicing projectors. Mm. I mean, with film as well, there's, I mean, and now, I don't know. I think there, there's a way to look at it where it's just a job, which uh, maybe back in the day when film was the normal thing to project, that was the way people saw it. Mm. But now it's kind of becoming more of like a, uh, sk- a real appreciated skill set that not a lot of people have, or less people have. Well, every, in everyone's profession, there's people who just phone it people in and do it as a job, it, yeah, and there's people exactly. who take it seriously. Yeah. But if you take it seriously, in your case, what does it entail? What is the, what does the really great projectionist do? If I went to a movie, yeah, could yeah. I tell the difference? You probably could. The great, well, so it involves service as well. But I mean, if you think about a movie image on screen, I mean, it has to be filling the screen, ideally, because otherwise you have these little bars around it, or like black or white or something, and you're seeing extra image, or if it's overshooting the screen and it's too big. You see that you quite see a lot where it goes off the bottom that. of the screen, right? Absolutely, mm. and you notice that. People do notice that. Yeah, yeah. Where they perceive it, you know, even if they don't notice. And then with the film, there's real changes sometimes, there's, and that's a matter of timing where you have to like... Now, there's that, what does that mean? You see those little dots on the you movie? You see the dots, exactly. Is that, is that when you know how to... That's when you know. So what you have to do is you have two sets of dots. One set is about, let's say, eight seconds before, or maybe 10 seconds before the uh, end of the reel. And then there's a second set of dots right at the end. So if you have two projectors, the one is doing the film, and you have to stand at the other projector and look through the port really closely and just focus on the dots. And when you see the first set, you have to turn on the second projector. So it starts the film going the leader. And it's aligned such that when you see the second set of dots, you hit a button, and it automatically switches over to the other projector. So it's totally at visual. At the exact right moment. Totally visual. So but tactile as well, because it's this big, kind of like, it's a big mechanical system that you have to activate. But it's so visual in the sense of what you, the cue that you're going to get is the cue for you. Is visual, only exactly. visual. There's no... Yeah. And it's, it's a performance as well. I mean, you have to perform it at the exact right time. It's not something that can really be done automatically, or uh, well, you think it would be able to be done automatically? Wouldn't yeah, you would, right? right? Well, it's a dying there are ways art, though, to do too. It. That's the problem: is that uh, what he's describing is called changeover projection, and that's how most prints right now are archived. So there's another form of projection where they put them on platters, 
but that ha causes more wear and tear on film prints. So archival prints will not let you project them if, it, if you have what's called a platter system. Yeah. So if you've never been taught how to do changeover projection for 35 millimeter, you won't know how to thread everything and how to actually change it over. So it, yeah, it is very physical so and it, it's yeah. an art that will hopefully not die, but um, it, it, it will inevitably has to die, doesn't it? I mean, right. are we going to go all digital? There, digital mm -hmm. doesn't have an archive format, so there are film archives where you can that are where films are kept in climate control. But there's no such thing as a digital archive. There's not an archive medium yet. If you think about a film print, I mean, we can we can think about this with like our laptops, our iPhones, or whatever, um, or cell phones. We've had to like get a new one every two or three or four, five years maybe. So that's the same with digital films. Um, every five years or every so number of years, uh, definitely in the single digits, you're going to have to migrate to a new format. So and like there's no like we used to have to like everything was on like a floppy drive, right. and then, and then, then yeah. floppy drive, it's on a hard disk, disk and then a yeah. zip disk, and then a, uh, a thumb drive, and then yeah. a, a bigger thumb drive, right. and then a hard drive. So yeah. that's the same with movies, uh, going through the same. Yeah. Yeah. So it's your hard data. drive will eventually die, right? So that's the same thing if you're putting films on hard drives, that will eventually die as well. And so there's we there's no well possibly because there's no standard for how to migrate that data. So once a CD, I mean, think like, yeah, anything that's been recorded or um, saved digitally, it can mm -hmm. be just lost unless you migrate it. But a film print, if it's climate controlled, can last for 100 years or more. Um, but, so there's but, but people aren't going to shoot on film anymore, right? There are some people still shooting on film. The, I mean, but by and large, it's uneconomical, I suppose. Yeah, d mm -hmm. uh, well, Kodak is getting rid of film stock. I disagree. Well, that will be the end of that once oh, Kodak wow. is gone. Yeah. Right. Although I disagree that it's uneconomical. I think I that it really. Yeah, I think it just passes the costs onto a different uh, person to, to shoot digitally. But look at, look at our photographer Douglas Engel here taking photos. On his iPhone. On his oh. iPhone, mm -hmm. which come out great. He takes, mm -hmm. I don't know how many thousand photos while he stands around here during the show for us to get a couple of good ones. Yeah. That phone and will die in a few years, whereas if you have a film camera, you can keep servicing it and repairing parts. But we couldn't afford the film. We couldn't afford to... to but you had to buy a 600... But the, the iPhone cost $600. Yeah, so if you were to buy a roll, If you were to buy a roll of film and take it to... Uh, Walgreens. Know, if you were, yeah, Walgreens. I don't... Do they still... Do yeah. I don't do even do know. Right? Wow, cool. That's actually yeah, really That's far <laughs> less. Far less money. I mean, less photos, but it just changes the way that you use the technology. My point is that it's not... The digital is not the magic bullet for that stuff. And I think if you're shooting on film, it may cost more for film stock and to, you know, print it onto the final, the final print or whatever. But there are also huge costs associated with hard drives and mm. digitizing, like a digital film and all that stuff. I mean, and it's, who's going to make the there. final decision? It's going to be in the hands of the money makers, yeah, of or the mm -hmm. people who have the money the to make movies. The decision's pretty much I mean. already been made. It's, yeah, it's been made. Yeah, it looks like studios are talking about. Yeah, d dumping mm. these movies into the movie theaters by yeah. digital instead of having to ship mm. them all around the country, yeah. and around the world. And yeah, so those real. projectors, yeah, so. Um, a lot of our smaller cinemas are doing like Kickstarter campaigns to raise money to purchase these digital projectors. Well, what are you going to do? Because you guys are trying to open a theater here. We ha well, yeah. we're going to have all the formats. Have one. You have a we projector. Have one. You we have one. Yeah, and we have to basically have to put the infrastructure in place every five years. You may need to replace it. And those pieces of equipment can range between 40 and... I don't 70, even know, $70,000? $70,000, $80,000. Yeah. Wow. So For a projector? 
yeah, well, so for that's a screen because you also need some other stuff to go with it. Yeah. It's not just the so that's nothing to do with the building. That's just the, that's just the equipment. A, yeah. So that's the long-term effect of it. So with a film projector, you can replace parts and you can keep the same projector for, you know, some of these projectors were made in the 50s and they mm-hmm. still are operational. So right. it's more of like you're deferring the cost versus now everything is sort of a little bit more instantaneous. But in the long run, it will be substantially more expensive. Okay, so where's the theater going to be? Do you think in New Orleans when you? <laughs> Boy, I wish we knew. Yeah, I will. It's. I mean, if you have a, do you have a realtor? No, we're working on it. We have two that we're sort of working with. Yeah. We're looking at rental venues. Probably the Marini Bywater area is w- right now. I think where we're conceiving of it. And the word shotgun in New Orleans is a strange word to choose. I mean, there's a house yeah. called a shotgun. That's yeah. That's is that where, where it comes from? Yeah. It's a long thing. That's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. And kind of the sort of DIY feel. I mean, right. very homey and uh, overgrown and everything. Okay, and so Angela, you came down here for a couple of days, three days, four days for <laughs> vacation the first time. Yeah, it was probably about five days maximum. Five days. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So what happened? I just really loved it. It was really unexpected. I just thought I was going to come and visit. Um, what, te- what temperature was it in uh, oh, yeah. Wisconsin? It was, it was probably like yeah, it was like I came from <laughs> su- the Sundance Film Festival where they had a nice storm, and so I flew. It was like an eighteen-hour travel day, and I got here and it was eighty degrees, and I was like, ah. and then I saw the city and just I. It was where did you take her, Travis? Was the first oh. I took her to Zeitgeist. <laughs> Okay, well, we we saw a movie there. Yeah, we saw a movie there, and she was like, Angela, I mean, yeah, should I go there? No, I mean, we just, (laughs) I was really, it was surprised by there's so much film production here, and there are basically now there seems to be like three actual spots, and one of which popped up in January, not including us. So, if you have Zeitgeist downtown and you have Britannia uptown, where else do you go in the city? I mean, there really isn't anything well, else. Well, Britannia is not really an art cinema. I mean, it's a standalone no. theater, I mean, but it has, yeah, the closest it has new thing. movies. Exactly. Right. So it was a, that seemed like a huge gap. And we kind of joked about it, like, whoa, what if we just had our own cinema? Like, very arrogantly. And then we, uh, we kind of pieced together what we needed to do to make it happen. So well, I think the time is perfect now for this. I mean, there's a lot of people here. There's a lot of oh, new yeah. people in New Orleans who would love to do that sort of thing and mm-hmm. the people who are staying here who aren't leaving right. who would go to that too and all of us mm-hmm. would go to it actually sitting at the table absolutely yeah so hurry that's it up great. yeah that's good to yeah, know. That's so where do you get the movies much all we've heard. where do you get the movies from you, then when you um, do this I reach out to distributors so you, um, in my previous job I worked um, I developed relationships with different distribution companies so what you do is you find who has the rights to a film and you contact them and negotiate a price and then negotiate what kind of exhibition format which so is it's bus- so like a businessy thing you're it like, is, yeah, so you're like a business person yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, it's Travis is like more a, of an artsy guy. No, we're both business people at really? this point. Yeah. The art is uh It's mostly logistical <laughs> actually. I would yeah. say more logistics and the creative part is the like the sexy part of it. Yeah, we watch movies all the time, but that is such a small part of it. <laughs> and what are you doing to pay the bills? Are you, do you have a job and everything? Or <laughs> yeah, I wait tables. You do? Where, <laughs> whereabouts? I'm at the uh, new vegan restaurant called Seed on Britannia and Thalia. Oh, not there's super a new vegan restaurant on Britannia wow, and Thalia. I didn't even see this. I have been past that, actually. It just opened two weekends ago. Yeah, I just noticed mm. it the other day when I went past there, actually. It's Seed, lovely. and I it's vegan. I would be vegan. happy to serve you at some point if okay. you'd like to come get dinner or lunch. <laughs> What do they serve there? Vegetables, I suppose, mostly. Um, well All steamed vegetables. <laughs> yeah. steamed no vegetables. spices. Yeah. <laughs> great no. for the diet. Yeah, they've got really great nachos. 
Do they? Vegan nachos, yeah. The club sandwich was really good. Yeah. It's hard to know when the joking ends and the serious, but begin. <laughs> no, we're admit, well, yeah, we're actually both <laughs> vegan, so. Um, You're vegan as well? Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Okay, so were you vegan already <laughs> before you met? No, no, no. I, I became vegan after moving here. After moving to New Orleans, I mean, is that really? I know, it's so (laughs) so backwards. That's really interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it just just had to happen, but I feel great. I love it. But you did it before Angela moved here, so she didn't drag you into veganism, or did you drag her? No, 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 both of us. No, we we met in the middle. Yeah. I'm no. lactose intolerant. Was I can't. You're lactose intolerant. Yeah. Was it in your oh. Match.com profile? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I fortunately have never had to do that. I would sooner be single than do the online dating thing. It freaks me out. Really? It does. Helen, yeah, have you ever I, done that? Oh, it's, I, yeah, I have. Is I it have. scary? I did it I just, once. And I, I actually, what's really funny about this story is that I did it anonymously in Madison. And then... I like how this all goes back to Wisconsin. I said... <laughs> I, yeah, I figured I could hide... <laughs> there and i was like yeah because you're just a drummer on a punk band (laughs) yeah it's like hey who isn't but then but then i moved here and a guy contacted me i said well you know i actually live in new orleans and the guy said me too and so i couldn't escape and so i went out on a date with this guy and we went to the britannia and it it was awful The, the movie was pretty bad. <laughs> Did <laughs> Do you remember the movie? Yeah, which movie? I was don't it? remember anything. I've blocked it out. Oh, I'm and I'm really sorry if, if he's, he's listening. listening. Well, they didn't have computers when we I started just, dating. We so weren't matched. <laughs> That's how long it's been since you've been out of the That's loop. Exactly. Right? It's really good for you, though. I think yeah. Yeah, much sure healthier. Helen, what kind of a, it's an interesting thing because if you're, I mean, what kind of a, uh, a date is going to a movie? You don't get to know somebody at a movie. Well, I think I chose it on purpose because I was. <laughs> I actually, I actually wasn't really excited about going on a blind date. Right. I was feeling weird about it. From I don't, I shouldn't have even gone, but I <laughs> thought that. But you well, never know. We'll go. It could have been the most, um, I mean, it was a pretty it's weird true. story. It could have been the best person that you've ever met. Right, it's true. Right. That's true. I and went on uh, a great first date to a movie one time. There you go. You did? But it was only because we talked about the movie afterwards and it was a great conversation. Yeah. But at the time I thought like, yeah, we're, we're not really talking. I wonder why we're yeah. doing Because this. you're watching a movie. Dude. Yeah. Right, you thought exactly. about that one? Yeah. We kind of like touched forearms and I was like, oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> That is a strange thing to go. That, that was with Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. Are you guys know each other's ex-boyfriends yeah. and girlfriends? She lives roommate. with her. Yeah. <laughs> Your roommate? Yeah. That was I know here. this story you is going to bl- You went on a blind date? Oh, no, no. This I is ages ago. Ages ago. Chicago ago. Your, Chicago your ago. blind date in Chicago ended up being your roommate in New Orleans, Angela? Well, I yeah. met her through him, actually. We became really good friends. So you stayed in touch with her? Oh, after yeah. The mm-hmm. I, moved here with, I moved here with her. Okay, so, so awesome. it wasn't just <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just one date. It worked out to be a real relationship. Yeah, exactly. And then you moved to New Orleans. But it began as a you gave up eating meat. Yeah, and every and everything. <laughs> so did she. And so, and did she. she. so did she. So did she. Okay. That happened so in Chicago. She. Right. Oh no, you said yeah, that. Here, never yeah. mind. Yeah. That well, was here. That's right. Yeah. And so she quit eating. She became a vegan here as yeah, well. She also did. So what went so wrong for you? And <laughs> dot dot dot. I think we got bored. <laughs> really. Yeah. So, <laughs> that, and that was when you were in a bad space, in a gray area. Exactly. Right. When exactly, you're sort of exactly. just turning vegan and no one to hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So many vegan restaurants had yet to open. Yeah. So, oh and then gosh. along came. And this is a sort of a romantic little story. Oh, you're like wonderful. you're like the voice of Match.com. <laughs> 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 you're, 
I need to get an endorsement, I mean, sponsorship from that. Absolutely. You really should. I should. Th- well, it's a bit great. late when they've already met, though. I know. You know no, but for future episodes, yeah. you never know what's well, going to happen. What you're doing you is narrating the story. Yeah. It's all about it's more, the story. It's your story. You're making our story sound way better than I yeah, think it actually is. She's blushing. <laughs> really? Well, I think it sounds oh. quite exciting never and romantic, mind. It's all those traits. It's just a Dosaki sign. Is she blushing or is it the Dosaki sign? That's I a new country blush. song <laughs> waiting to happen. <laughs> when I do, it's with Dosaki sign. But it is pretty interesting that your girlfriend who you moved here with, you're still friendly with, friendly and... and now and friendly with, but yes. Now friendly, okay. So it was a rock. It's a gray area there yeah, for a while. Yeah, that was a gray area. And yeah, she's total gray and area. Angela, she's your roommate, but of all the women in New Orleans, why would you want a room with... Your boyfriend's she's ex-girlfriend. She's a really incredible woman. Uh, we just were re- we became really good friends. Yep. I think you needed a place to stay when you moved here, right? Well, uh, I mean that. W- I mean there was that too. So you but didn't I move in together, obviously, which is mm-hmm. what I expected. No, 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 no. no. no, no. <laughs> Do you live by yourself, Travis? No, I have roommates. <laughs> I have two roommates. They're, um, I don't. <laughs> they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with those people, no. right? No, not at all. Before not you get home all. and find I all your stuff on the side. <laughs> <Yeah, right. laughs> no, they they would almost definitely not be listening to this. But um, why is that? Because they're heathens and stupid. No, they're just busy. <laughs> One of them's <laughs> <they're> busy. <laughs> Everybody's busy. I'm the heathen. I'm the heathen. No, they're they're great. I just don't see them very often. That's the best kind of roommate. <laughs> really? Exactly. I just yeah. like the idea that you either listen to the podcast or you're heathen and stupid. Well, I was trying <laughs> to think of what kind of person would be not listening to this podcast. Well, so obviously, yeah, obviously, yeah. A heathen obviously, <laughs> ends very. Would it be stupid. someone who's too smart to listen to a podcast? Sure. Not a smart would heathen. No, it'd be a stupid heathen. Stupid yeah. heathen. There, <laughs> there you go. That was my thought. Hey, listen, we're running out of time, so Helen, I have to make you play something. All right. You can play anything you want. It doesn't have to be a, a one I'm gonna, minute. I'm going to improvise a wow, little bit. Wow, okay. I'm going to take these headphones off. You again. can certainly do that if you'd like. Okay, I got <laughs> it. <them> to you. <laughs> <laughs> this is dedicated to Mrs. Banks who called my music The Exorcist if it was a love story.
something for you? Yes. Yes. This is back. That's a very physical job you have there. You used to seeing people in the orchestra play the cello. It looks very sort of... Um, sometimes there's a lot of physical work going on with the bow and everything, but not like that. You're yeah. actually slapping the hell out of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, the slap, the slap bass thing. Yeah. Um, Does that hurt? It feels good. I've always, uh, <laughs> I've always wanted... My hands are disgusting right now because I was just in the mulch of my garden. But anyway, they're extra dirty. But I usually get a, a, a nice big bass callus that um, I've been, <laughs> I'm actually really proud of it. Um, I've been working my whole life to get a callus like this. <laughs> All right, let's have a look at it. I know you can't I'm see it on, on the podcast, <laughs> but do you, you can feel no. it. It's huge. Oh, it's pretty hard. So the edge, hard, your, the edge of your, the edge of your, is it what's called that? First, my your index. Fir- index finger is like solid. Yeah, and that's, and I'm so proud. It's been years in the making. And um, <laughs> when, I w- when I wanted to be a jazz um, cello player there was uh, some things I had to learn how to do and uh, mainly just open up my ears like you know so I can listen but the other one was to build up a, a callus on my on my index so it's not very ladylike then right yeah but when you think about what ladylike is you know uh, that's a whole other conversation really I mean you know I was just hearing my neighbors little girls they're like two and four and five and they were screaming so loudly that it was almost making my <laughs> walls shake from the outside to the inside of my house, you know. And then you then you think about like all these girl punk bands, and you see where it comes from, you know. It's just uh, letting letting your inner child, inner girl, inner inner childlike spirit out. Well, I think that um, playing music should be as free as feeling that that light and that inspired and that creative as being a kid. You I know? think that's probably why we all love to go hear music. Yeah, because mm-hmm. we all want to experience that sort of. You get that freedom for an hour or two hours, and then you walk out of there going, "Wow, that was great!" Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you get to actually do it. It must be a whole other experience when it, you're it's actually so a musician. Fun. Yeah, and it's easy to lose sight of that, you, no matter what you're doing uh, for a living, you know. Um, but but I mean, even as a musician, you can easily lose sight of that. And I've had to rein it back in, like uh, get, keep myself in check. Like, why are you? treating this like a job all of a sudden like don't forget to have fun up there you mm. know because mm-hmm. and i've caught myself a couple of times so um and especially for my band's sake I, lo- I look over and if i don't see my bandmate smiling i'm not doing something right you know mm-hmm. yeah i guess if you can't enjoy yourself m- playing music <laughs> there's not much left <laughs> after that. although i would really, think being yeah. a trial attorney must be a hell of a <laughs> yeah <thing. laughs> i would that must love be a great gig Whip out my cello in court and really take this judge. Yeah, but no. that must be a really interesting job, as because yeah. you're kind of a performer as well. You are on stage. Yeah. I had a nine-hour trial Tuesday, and wow. the moment wow. you took the stage until the moment you the curtains closed in car- closing arguments, you're on stage. Well, let's talk about that mm-hmm. for a minute then, because. When you're on stage, you're playing the part of a character mm-hmm. that doesn't bear much resemblance to the truth. It's just mm-hmm. internally true to the character, the way it's mm-hmm. written. Do you find that the truth has anything to do with what you're doing? Are you trying to tell the truth, or is it more important to tell a convincing story? Um, it depends how much I like opposing counsel. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, obviously you want to tell the truth, but the truth is, you know, the perspective is different for each side. Well, are you a defense you know? attorney? You're a defense attorney, I It see. depends. Um, Tuesday, it was a custody battle. I was fighting for dad. Dad won. 
Um, but it was an opposing counsel that I particularly didn't care for and a mom that I thought wasn't a great mother. So it made the job a whole lot easier hmm. to get up there and literally go to war. Yeah, but I'm paying you to represent me, so yeah. I'm expecting you to do your best whether you like the opposing yeah. attorney or not, surely, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, and I do. But there are some times that you just know that, you know, sometimes people are fighting over which lamps are. I mean, I think, so you do a lot of divorce stuff like that? Yeah. At the end of the day, does it matter who got the lamp? Probably not. It's not changing anybody's life. But what happened on Tuesday was three little boys, mm. and it changed their life, what happened. Mm. So that's well, a, a different... In a case like that, when you're representing a guy, in this case, mm-hmm. and he's paying you to represent him, is this why I'm asking you, is it more important for you to win or to tell the truth? Because you're, paying, you're playing the part mm-hmm. of a trial attorney who you often get the impression yeah. from watching this on TV and the movies mm-hmm. is that they'll say anything. Yeah, I don't think that's true in real life. It's not. It's not. And a lot of times the judge will call us in the chambers and say, you know, kind of, all right, what's really going on? Like, y'all tell me the scoop. And we'll kind of, you know, tell them our client's perspective. Um, Sometimes, you know, when you feel like you have kids, though, you really are. It's an emotional fight for me, too, Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. as the attorney. So I know we're not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be disconnected. But I have two little boys. So. Well, that's the question is how much is a performance and how much is it? Yeah. I mean, it makes a difference what a sort of a performer you are, right? If we go right. see Helen play, if she's smiling and having fun mm-hmm. and enjoying herself and projecting, and mm-hmm. y- you makes you enjoy the music more. Right. I think the audience. Right. Is it it's the same with you? If you're a you know a charismatic, good-looking or whatever mm-hmm. it is person, does it make your case yeah. stronger? I I think it does. I know that's sad, and maybe it shouldn't, but it does. And sometimes I'm in court, and a lot of times people don't realize that they have for lack of a better word, the crappy lawyer, until you're in the middle of the trial, you're like, oh, no, I've got the crappy lawyer, you know, and it's too late. Okay, well, well, how would we know we're going to get the crappy (laughs) lawyer before? I'm serious about that. No, really. Anyone listening to this who's thinking about hiring an attorney, how do we know? It's in that interview when you meet them. I think a lot of people go in and they have the attorney that seems cold or hard, and they just assume there's no alternative. Don't. Go find an attorney that you feel like you can call or email at 3 in the morning, and that's your girl or guy hire that person that person that you can feel a personal connection with because people don't and like well i don't know i just hired the person you know he seemed nice you know he seemed like a ball buster and a cold heartless asshole but that's that's (laughs) not who you want it's not necessarily who you want it depends what you're trying to get you know? Well, you want someone to represent you who's going to be a cold, heartless asshole and screw yeah. the other person is what you're looking for in yeah. court. Yeah. But the person who you're interviewing, you don't want to get that impression from. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. You want to feel like you're with somebody that you can... You're going to be giving them a lot of money mm-hmm. and a lot of your time. And you're putting whatever it is that you're going to court for, something important for you, whether it's property or your kids or... You, know, you want to win. Everybody wants to win. You want to win. win, absolutely. But I don't want to be in the middle of the trial and realize, hey, my attorney sucks. Yeah. That must it be happens. a... Yeah. It's going to be the worst feeling in the world. Yeah. It must. Yeah, it is. So oh, I picked the wrong one. I know. <laughs> How do we well, get that one? My trial Tuesday, she was on our sixth attorney in about 14 months. Oh. So I think every time, you know, sometimes it's not always the attorney that loses. It's, it's yeah. who you are. <laughs> it's the facts of your case, mm. you know. You can't just blame the lawyer. But sometimes you do get there and you realize, oh, oh, no. You know, my attorney doesn't have things organized. Everything's crammed, paper sticking out everywhere. If their desk looks like that, you probably should just move on to another one. That's, <laughs> that's a good, that's a key as well. Yeah. Neatness. Organization. Organization. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. this has been a pretty instructive little conversation yeah. here, <laughs> actually. <laughs> I appreciate that. Hey, listen, we yeah. have to get out of here in a minute. But, Travis, I know that you're a musician as well. 
Yeah, you and, know that. And we stole a guitar off the stage here at Casa Borrego that Hugo had left up there. So there's a whole bunch of beautiful guitars here. Yeah. So we have to get out of here, but can we ask you to play something for us before we go? Sure. What do you want to hear? What do you play? I don't know oh, anything about man. your music at all. What sort of stuff do you play? Uh, I also improvise. Okay. So, I mean, Helen, do you want to try to play something? Oh, my <laughs> goodness. That would be awesome. Or something? Oh, that I don't would be know. Why don't you start? Okay. Let's hear what you got. Uh, okay. That was a very pleasant surprise indeed. <laughs> you guys, you. you guys had not rehearsed that at all, really, right? No, no, no. no I just met. Uh, we just. Met I know. Today. And and About we an didn't. I didn't even know you. I didn't even know you played the guitar until one minute before we hardly came on the show here. Yeah, I heard we got. I heard there was a phone call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got a great. Graham, our producer, earlier. figured it out. So that was great. Thanks. Listen, thank you so much, Yule. That was a great show, everybody. Yeah. That's happy hour for uh, another week. Thanks for joining us down thank here. Thank you. This has been Our guests today sitting around the table here have been Arita Bohannon, Angela Catalano, Travis Bird, and Helen Chalet. And there's links to all their stuff that you've heard today on our website, itsneworleans.com. Go and check that out. The producer of our show is Graham DePonte. Our associate producer and technical director is Chris Kehoe. Christian Unruh is our music director and Joshua Brown is our music coordinator. The theme song that you're listening to was written and is being played by Mitch Foreman. The fabulous audio quality of the show is brought to you in part by PreSonus Audio Electronics. For more information about their wide range of sound reading, recording equipment and software, you can check them out at PreSonus.com. If you'd like to be on our show, you can sit upright around the table for about an hour and play the cello or guitar. Drop us a line. Our address is on our website where you can also check out many other happy hour shows to listen to as well as other shows on itsneworlands.com. Out to lunch with Peter Raschuti live from Commander's Palace. Mindset. 
with psychiatrist Dr. Nick Pajic. True to the game with Chris True and Tammy Nelson Vietnam, our show about the New Orleans Vietnamese community, with Kim Vu and Midnight Menu Plus One with Margot Moss and the man who ate New Orleans, Ray Canada. You can keep up with us on Facebook, on Twitter, and a bunch of other times sucking social media on Orbit, where it's New Orleans. You can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Facebook page. These photos are taken by the fabulous Douglas Engel, who today is wearing red beads. If you listen to this show on iTunes, Stitcher Swell, or some other podcast app of your own choosing, thank you for subscribing to us. Take a moment to rate and review us. That really does help other people find us. Our show is recorded live today at Casa Borrega on Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard in Central City, New Orleans. You can find them on Facebook and Twitter as well. You can also find them for real down here. Come and have a cocktail or listen to some live Latin jazz or an excellent Mexican meal. Happy hours of production of I Know Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. Andrew Duhon will be back here next week. Until then, from all of us around the table and back at the I Know office, I'm Grant Morris. Thanks so much for joining us on Happy Hour. We'll see you next time.